Welcome to Bring It to the Altar, a new podcast proudly brought to you by the One Spirit Interfaith Foundation. Founded in London in 1996, One Spirit Interfaith Foundation is an educational charity training open-hearted adults, exploring interfaith ministry, spiritual counselling, sacred activism and the world's many faith paths. This new eight-part podcast series brings you up close with the work of the One Spirit team, faculty, graduate ministers and their wider community of teachers, elders and friends. Weaving tales from right across the globe, each episode features a new voice and tells a unique story of how this important work makes its way into the world. In our second episode, you meet the fabulous Rev Deb Connor. A recent graduate, Deb was ordained with One Spirit in 2018. A woman with many strings to her bow, she is also a Taoist priest in training, a published author, an acupuncturist, a transformational life coach, mixed media artist and the founder of Lovely Vegan. As you'll learn, she is also hilarious. It's an episode filled with lots of easy laughter. Here she is with One Spirit's creative lead, Amy Fur. As you'll shortly learn, Rev Deb Connor is a bundle of gorgeous energy. She laughs easily and often, with a warm and cheeky glint in her eye, the kind of glint worn only by someone who has truly seen the depths and breadths of this brutal and beautiful life. Our conversation spans the mysterious and the ridiculous, and in particular, I suspect will be of interest to people curious about interfaith ministry and the One Spirit training. So grab yourself a cuppa, come and join us for a heartwarming and fun-filled 40 minutes. My name is Amy Firth. Welcome to Bring It to the Altar. such a joy to have you here today, Deb. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Reverend Amy. (laughs) It is my absolute joy to be here. Thank you. We've been brought together through some kind of divine mystery. You just happened to be in my neighbourhood and I jumped on you and said, (laughs) you must come, come to my kitchen table. You must come and sit with Mm. me for Bring It to the Altar. And so it's just such such a joy. I'm so excited for our conversation and mm. see what comes of this time together. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. It's, it's clearly meant to be. Mm. Such is Tao. Yes, thank you. And we will get to that. <laughs> we have your beautiful book sitting here, The Little Book of Tao. Uh, we will definitely come on to that. But perhaps let's just start back at the beginning. I mean, where that is, I don't know, lifetimes mm. ago, months ago, years ago. But perhaps for our listeners, it would be helpful if we could hear a bit about your own story towards interfaith ministry. When did you first hear of One Spirit? Oh, well, I first heard of the One Spirit Interfaith Foundation in July 2016. I joined the training in September 2016. (laughs) Quick turnaround. (laughs) I went to... um, uh, I, I went on a, a week-long residential course to train as a Healy Life teacher um, with um, 
Dr. Patricia Crane. Uh, so very Course in Miracles-led uh, training. And what dropped in for me during that training was I'm meant to be a minister. I'll be honest, that horrified me mm-hmm. on so many levels that I took out my journal, as I love to write, um, and I began to journal. I entitled the journal entry, Reasons I Can't Be a Minister, brackets, part one. <laughs> Fortunately, I've yet to write part two, and here I am, an ordained one spirit minister. Um, I repeatedly, after that week, um, found myself on the One Spirit Interfaith Foundation <laughs> webpage. And I. Not when I was looking at that. I'd go online to have a look at the price of something in a shop and find myself again on Mm -hmm. the One Spirit page. Um, When I was feeling that's not what I was online for, oh, here it is again. Mm. And, oh, look, there's an open day um, in Manchester, which is not far from where I live. Oh, look. It's on a day where I'm due to be going into Manchester to meet a friend for lunch. And I decided to go along to that open day just for a look. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's kind of like going to the the dog's home just to have a look at a puppy. (laughs) You know you're coming home with the puppy (laughs) even before you've gone. Um, Yeah, and I, I can remember walking into the room and that was in a building where... I'd facilitated several workshops myself where I'd attended a lot of events. Um, and it was like I was playing this game of, of bargaining with myself. If there's a sign, oh, if there's a sign, then I'll join the training. Um, if there's no sign, it's okay. I don't have to. No, I'm going home with the puppy. <laughs> so I I arrive in Manchester, it's an absolutely gorgeous sunny day and I felt, oh, the sunshine is a sign. Um, Had it been raining, that too would have been a sign, (laughs) I'm sure. Um, As I walked into the room, um, there was a piece of music playing. uh, It was Packerbell's Canon in D. Um, And that piece of music had been really significant on the week-long residential course that I, I'd done before and it's a favourite piece of music of, of my my grandma. Um, so before a word was spoken in that room, mm. I knew I was joining the training <laughs> and, yeah, I, I tried to resist that process. However, so be it. So, yeah, it's the best gift I have ever given myself to um, show up to that training Mm. and to invest in my in my own self that way. Mm. Wow. Goodness, I'm so grateful to the Manchester sunshine and to Parker Bell's canon and to anything and everything else that conspired Mm. to to bring you here. You are such a, a gift and such a joy. I wonder if you can paint a picture for us about what your life looked like before you found One Spirit. What sort of paths and professions had you had mm. you found yourself on? Yeah, gosh, I left school when I was 16. And um, I, I realise now at 49, having entered my wise woman years, that I didn't actually want to leave education when I was 16. Um, 
but I did. And I went to work in a bank um, that happened probably not by accident, although it feels like that. Um, and then I, after a couple of years of, of working in an office, which is not for me, um, so many people thrive in that environment. I do not. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I got my first um, NHS job. So I worked in the National Health Service. Um, and um, that particular role uh, came with an opportunity to study. So for two years, I studied um, medical physics and physiological measurements. I see your eyes widen, Amy. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I would make a great physicist. Um, my my hair often has such <laughs> static electricity that I wonder if I was meant to be some kind of physicist. But, you know... Lady Einstein. Yeah, maybe like the sort of metaphysical uh, stuff that I, I love so much is, is my ode to physics in general. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did that course for two years and... Um, worked in a, an ENT unit, an ear, nose and throat unit uh, in the audiology department and applied for nurse training, became a nurse. Um, yeah, I, I had such um, amazing life learning experiences in, in my journey along my nursing career. Um, and real stress and burnout as well. Mm. Uh, I trained as a general nurse uh, and then as a paediatric nurse and, and my field was paediatric intensive care nursing. Wow. And, um, yeah, um, that was hard. Mm. It was really hard um, and joyful mm. and amazing. And working as a paediatric nurse, the courage I saw in children and their parents and families mm. and in the other staff that I worked with. However, um, the way that, and I wasn't, I was not alone in this, but the way that I um, dealt with the, what I will describe as emotional charge uh, of that kind of work um, was to plunge into um, very addictive um, patterns of behaviour. Um, so I used to work this kind of seven on, seven off. So do mm. seven 12 and a half hour shifts in a row and then have seven off. Um, I'm not even sure that's legal anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, so in my seven off, uh, then, yeah, I, I would do all kinds of crazy stuff, drink too much and... Uh, over-exercise and overeat and then mm. straighten out for a couple of days and then go back to work and function. Um, and, um, yeah, that set up a, a pattern of if something's difficult, then mm. like, go for a run, run away from it. Uh, if something's difficult, uh, you can always get drunk. Uh, if something's difficult, build up a layer of uh, protection around yourself, Deb. Uh, and I did have a four and a half stone layer of protection between me and the world through my compulsive overeating. Um, 
and I know that part of me knew that as much as I loved my nursing career, what I was doing and the way I was showing up to that was killing me. Mm. And I had a senior job in, in the health service and uh, one day I walked out of it and said, I've got time owing, I've got holidays, uh, I, I'm leaving at the end of this shift. And I feel that if I hadn't have, as sounds awfully dramatic, but if I hadn't have done it in that way, I'd still be there and I wouldn't be well. Mm. Um, mm. If indeed I would still be in the world, I don't even know. Um, so I left with no job to go to. Um, I lived in the hospital accommodation, so I had also just made myself homeless. Um, and that, that then was a real interesting time of my life. Um, and I, I struggled around and then ended up again back um, nursing through a nursing agency, um, which did mean that I could go and do a stint of work um, and then take time off. It was almost like it was my recovery time. Mm. Um, and that was not going to be sustainable long term. And I decided uh, to go traveling and off I went. <laughs> globe trotting mm. uh, and again everyone thought I was mad um, mm. uh, apart from <laughs> the lovely Neil who came with me who was my then dear friend and new partner uh, my now husband <laughs> I'm pleased to say good on you Neil <laughs> <laughs> what a guy what a guy I tell you so laid back and calm an example to us all um, interestingly he's a scientist <laughs> How interesting. So off I went globetrotting the world. So this was like 2002, 2003. Mm -hmm. Came back, um, not feeling, oh, I'll go on this trip and I'll find myself and just, I'm going to go do that. Um, Came back and took a short-term contract back at the same hospital I'd been working at before I left. Um, and the moment I walked back onto the unit, I knew, oh my goodness, this mm. is this is a real step back. However, uh, I, I'm just back in the country. I do need some money, and this is giving me also a place to live. And yeah, um, decided to invite in whatever was next. I. I wanted to work for myself. I felt that quite strongly that um, that was my path and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, my sister said to me, why don't you become an acupuncturist? She claimed she never said that because she said (laughs) until I started studying acupuncture, she hadn't really heard of it. I'm sure that's what I heard. Maybe I didn't hear those words from her. And because she was sat in the same room with me, (laughs) I thought she'd said them. Uh, so that was a spirit-guided moment. So so began my journey um, into uh, a whole new realm. Uh, I went to I went and did a, a degree in traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture specifically, and that's when I came across Taoism, which of course is so intertwined in in Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy that it's impossible to separate the two. Um, and I fell in love with it. It's mm. like I remembered mm. um, a part of me that I'd forgotten. 
Um, and I absolutely fell in the deepest love. So began my new life, um, still working in healthcare, still working with people um, in a new capacity and self-employed as an acupuncturist. So I, I did my acupuncture degree in the UK and then I went to study at the Beijing Hospital of Traditional Chinese Medicine. Um, I, I feel the name gives away it's in Beijing, mm. in China. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most wonderful experience. Um, wow, yeah. Mm. Uh, I was so, so glad that I did that. Met some wonderful people. Um, yeah, dare I say, also a few grumpy professors. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's also good learning. And... Um, yeah, then I worked as a in my own practice as a full-time acupuncturist and I'd, I'd been working in nurse education before I left the NHS and um, found myself in acupuncture education, which was oh, such a great joy to um, engage with students and feeling like, oh my goodness, I, I love being in a room full of students who ask questions that have never even occurred to me. Mm. Um, it's wonderful. And so on went my journey and I noticed <laughs> I was again in a pattern of overworking. Mm. Um, and I was doing a lot of teaching and yeah, um, I, I felt really drawn to this. then this week-long um, course to do to do this workshop facilitation. I thought, oh, if I do some, you know, workshop stuff, then I maybe I'll cut my clinical hours a bit and what have you. And hello, one spirit training is waving at me and jumping up and down. Me, 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 <laughs> come do me. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, what was really interesting was when I journaled about um, reasons I can't be a minister. Um, a lot of the stuff that came out, uh, remember it was only part one, mm. um, was um, ministry doesn't work out well for people. It's like some fear of danger. Mm. So interesting. When I got home uh, from that week-long training, I thought, crikey, I, 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 I have to go train as a minister and, and was kind of unaware at that time of, of the One Spirit training. And I I'd said to my husband, is there any job that you wouldn't want me to do? Um, and he, without even thinking the words that came out of his mouth were, um, anything that took you away from me. Mm. Uh, and I said, oh, that's okay then, because I think I'm meant to be a minister. And in the beautiful way that he does, he kind of shrugged and went, oh, okay. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. There we go. Wow, what a gorgeous and wild gallop round the world and, and through your life story. Mm. You touched on it, and I'd like us to go a bit more deeply into, I suppose, the the spiritual journey and, and awakening that has chaperoned you through your life. Mm. And in particular... I know for me, and I'm sure our listeners uh, are so keen to hear your unique voice about what Taoism is, what it means to you, 
mm. and the gifts and the rich treasure that it can bring to our world. Yeah. I, f I feel to leave some big long pause and then quote from the little book of Tao. Uh, one of the one-liners of wisdom inspired by the Tao Te Ching is um, the wise are heard in their silence. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in in my Chinese medicine studies, I, I came across Taoism, and when I looked inside myself, um, I I found a Taoist in there. Uh, so I'm not Taoist because I've been raised in that tradition or because I've been indoctrinated into it. Um, I, I I'm a Taoist and identify as that because when I looked inside myself, that's what was there. Um, kind of a bit inconvenient that I'm a working class northern white woman who doesn't speak Chinese or read it, because uh, that'd be hugely helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, my, my journey with that is... Um, really kind of so connected to healing and as I thought <laughs> me being um, you know a healthcare worker professional um, however it's all been about my own healing journey of course um, I see that now um, I really find it such the challenge to put into words what is it it means to me says the author of the little book of Tao. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah those words um yeah and i guess suddenly leaping from the chair and and describing it in the form of interpretive dance is not that not helpful for listeners time. is yeah. it yeah um <laughs> Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's it's about um, flow and about um, being in the moment and um, accepting things are as they are, not as I w would have them be. Um, yeah, I am. Um, I feel there is more to come out of me on that commentary, maybe guided by, have you got a specific question, Amy, mm. that would, that's burning in you to be answered about Taoism? Mm. Oh, and I just feel the question myself is, um, about uh, I'm a trainee Taoist priest and and what what is a pre what is a Taoist priest is mm. something that I get asked I do love to tell people I'm a trainee priest um, they look me up and down and kind of like oh you look like you've got a vagina are you sure that's allowed um, surely you must be a priestess ah well the the Taoist term for priest is genderless um, I love that. You yeah. notice I just dropped that in so we could make this point explicit because <laughs> it is so gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah, the, we, we don't have the equivalent really in in 
the English language that I am aware of. Maybe we do. Perhaps one of the listeners will get mm. in touch with me and say there is an English equivalent and I will be so overjoyed. Tweet us. Tweet us if you know. Please. Yeah. So um, priest and priestess, um, the, the word priest is. Yeah. So also um, for for Taoists who live a monastic life, whether they're male or female, uh, that that's the Taoist monk. There is no distinction. Um, the the ancient Wu is like the shamanic tradition that that Taoism uh, arose from. Um, the vast majority of the ancient Wu were female. Um, so if anything, <laughs> if we wanted to stick a gender on it, which we don't, of course, don't need to. But if we did, then, um, yeah, it would actually be the term priest would be female. And the, the um, role of a Taoist priest is um, there's a translation of the term that means watchtower. Mm. Um, so it's Ooh, there chills. I love to that witness to witness but and I think to witness someone in their process is the most amazing privilege and honor and also the greatest gift that one human can give to another is mm. to be there uh, and to see someone and to hear someone and as I would say to feel them mm. um and that's not about um, taking some action. So, mm. of course, uh, Wei Wu Wei, a real Taoist concept of uh, action, non-action, knowing when to, when the action is to be take no action, mm. Mm. <laughs> and when the the action is to to actually take some action. Yeah, so watchtower or way shower is another translation of, of the term priest. Mm. Um, and I, I hope um, that I always aim to um, be yeah, a watchtower and a, a way shower. I, I'm, I'm, I notice that I'm often called a permission giver. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll do something and people go, oh, wow, well. Rev Deb did it, so hey, we can all do it. Look, she looks like she's loving herself. Shall we all have a go at that? Um, yeah, do that. Um, so a real concept in Taoism is about self-cultivation. And, and my job, if, if indeed I have a job here, um, job, mission. Mm. I feel like to play with those two words. So mm. if my job here is anything, then it's um, to cultivate my own being and this appears in so many faith paths mm. like work on my own self so if I want world peace to truly happen which I do mm. I'm sure that comes as no surprise um, then I don't have to go around world leaders negotiating peace in in terms of Taoism what I do have to do is cultivate my own internal peace. And that is on all levels, so physical level, um, mental, emotional, psychological level, spiritual level. Once there is peace and harmony within me, then, or even a suggestion of that, then a ripple of that will go out from me. And 
a bit like the frequency of you know the radio waves or um you know like of this this message going out now and that spreads out and may in some way that I never get to know about which I think is the most beautiful thing um affect someone else who then thinks oh do you know what I'm going to do some inner cultivation and that doesn't have to they don't have to do that from a Taoist perspective they might choose to take up gardening or they might suddenly pick up a musical instrument and learn it or they may suddenly feel drawn to the Hindu faith or whatever it is for them uh, and then that has a knock-on effect, the ripple effect of their calm contentment and um, not being up in the high joy all the time because stay up there too long, that's mania. Um, or, you know, just being content about stuff, that ripple will spread out. So, yeah, then that's how peace breaks out in the world, mm. generally because each individual took some responsibility to say there is something I can do mm. I can find peace in my own self mm. well you are preaching to the choir my sister I so I so hear mm. and feel and receive that mm. and it's really fucking hard mm. it's really effing hard to be mm. a human and to really try and even with the awareness and with the training and with our spiritual practice and mm. all those things it is it is well yeah in my view a, a life's work certainly f for me this lifetime it is a life's work to cultivate and to I guess strive for the balance of, of being that vessel of peace and and love in the world I want to circle back briefly to what you were saying about this sense of the watchtower mm. and bearing witness. Mm. And I think it speaks so beautifully and poignantly to what the One Spirit training is is offering and is doing. And although all of our graduate ministers bring their own unique ministry into the world in so many different ways, if I were to find a consistency in most, if not all, of these remarkable lives it's that the training asks us or invites us to deepen our capacity to be with mm. and that means for a lot of us being at the coalface of suffering in the world mm. and that can make it even more difficult for us to then come home in our humanness with our spiritual awakenings and mm. and support structures and to consistently return or choose to be that, that vessel or presence of, of peace for ourselves, for our loved ones, for our planet, for our future. Mm. And so I wonder, my question in this is, how does your faith or your relationship with Taoism support and sustain you in, well, there's a perfectly on cue siren talking about the suffering mm. and the witnessing how does your relationship to spirit, to life, to God, to Taoism sustain you in the face of life's complexity, suffering 
and the paradox that we talked about, the mania and the madness, the ex- mm. all that is excruciating and all that is exquisite, when you're so up close to it and really working uh, with on, on hands and knees and the grit and the grace of it all. Mm. How do we sustain ourselves in that? Oh, good question. Yeah, it's the um, yeah, it's the the joy and beauty and the brutality and and challenge and yeah sometimes I have absolutely no idea I and I wonder how do I get through the next five minutes um those wondering how do I get through the next five minutes are yeah those moments where I come home and um if I come home to an empty house and, yeah, I've had some real um, challenge in in my watchtower role. Um, yeah, how do I hand it over? Um, when I'm with someone, another human, and, I, yeah, and being there, the, the being there for someone is... No matter how challenging that is, there is something about being in the moment with someone in their suffering that is easier than the fallout afterwards. Um, And I am a human person, I am having a human experience, and I feel every range of emotion and yeah, I have my own shit <laughs> working through my my stuff. Um, yeah, sometimes I will drop to my knees and curl up in what I call a ball of snot and tears on the floor. Absolutely cry it out. Um, that is not something I was able to do before one spirit training (laughs) come and train as a one spirit minister you'll know how to cry (laughs) so to clarify that um it i needed to give myself permission to express every range of emotion Mm. um i i grew up in a family where crying wasn't allowed Mm. um and I remember the first time I began to cry in a very supportive group of people. This was just before I, I started my One Spirit training. Someone handed me a tissue and I was so aware how my tears instantly stopped. And mm. I pulled it all back mm. inside myself because to me that was saying, don't cry. Yes. Here's a tissue, there, wipe there. it away. Yes. Stop it. Yes. Um, and that was not what that person meant at all. Um so yeah being able to allow any kind of emotion that needs to move through me to move through me in whatever way mm. it might need to so um a a, a spiritual practice and self cultivation technique in taoism is qigong many different styles of qigong um so yeah, I have lots of friends who are Qigong practitioners or Tai Chi practitioners, martial artists. Um, 
And I, I notice myself that uh, there are times where there's a particular style that I really not want to do, need to do. It's yeah. like that emotion has to come out of my body. It's like every cell in my body is holding that emotion. So being with another um, and, yeah, in the world of stuff being as it is rather than the pink fluffy peace and tranquility I would have it as Mm. um, I feel like I soak it up into every cell of my body Mm. what I never did in my nursing life was release it out to the universe Mm. so my own way of understanding is that actually you know what this body of this 49-year-old woman is as strong mm. as the universe. I didn't really realise that before. Yeah, I can soak it up mm. and then I can let it out. Mm. So for me, there's there's nothing more beautiful than me being down on the floor, a ball of snot and tears. There's nothing more beautiful than me putting on some music and yeah, dancing yeah, around my yeah. living room. Um there's nothing more beautiful than doing qigong under a tree Mm. Um, or sitting in silence for a moment Mm. or allowing noises to come out of me that um, I call singing. Um, A a choir mistress who I have so much love for um, I wonder where she is now. Once said to me, "You have a very narrow range and some pitching problems." <laughs> to which I said, "Thank you very much." And my friend whispered, "I don't think that was a compliment." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, does that answer your totally, question? <laughs> totally. Yeah, the, the breathing in, the breathing out, the the taking in, the releasing, mm. the mm. the willingness, the leaning in, and the surrender. Mm. All of it. The the knees. Buckling in grief and mm-hmm. falling in grace. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, but I will have to bring us to a close shortly. I could spend days and weeks and years and lifetimes having this conversation with you. We were we were chatting privately before about our experience of the One Spirit training, and we both realized that we, we sort of share a catchphrase in that we, we explain our experience as being uh, exquisite and excruciating in equal measures Mm. and so without terrifying any curious hearts out there who may be wondering what this training is and what it's about Mm. and considering you're a recent graduate having just completed the training last year I wonder what your words of yeah sort of not encouragement or advice but Mm. sort of anyone out there who's curious about the training in your own gorgeous, honest, ruthless, beautiful way. How would you describe the One Spirit training? Yeah, I would say this is a training that meets you where you are. Yes. Um, and for me, that meant I was ready to really plunge into it. Um, I, I was not only ready for that, I was yearning for that. Mm. And so for me, that meant, yeah, at times I felt like I was ripping off my own faces, how I would describe taking off the mask of of who I thought I was and revealing this beautiful 
incredible creative goddess inside and author and artist and that was bursting to come out of me the gifts that this training brings um is beyond what i feel is describable in words the amount of um yeah, I, I come back to this phrase, emotional charge. The amount of emotional charge um, is is very individual to to each and every student. So you know, all of the students, um, you know, in in my group, it was such the perfect group always forms always in anything I've ever been involved with workshops I run anything perfect group always comes together and yes everyone was in their own process so another student from my group I'm sure would describe you know how how they floated along on a cloud of loveliness Mm. um yeah, I chose my process to be what it was, and it was what I needed. Yes. Uh, maybe it wasn't what I expected, <laughs> but it, yeah, it brought me to where I am, and I am so grateful, so so grateful. Mm. Uh, when when I signed up for the training, uh, and I I'd, I'd said to my husband, "Oh, I want, I'd like to invest some of our savings um, in in this training," uh, he said, "Why do you want to do it?" And at the time, I said, I don't know. Okay, uh, what are you going to use this training for when you finished it? And I said, I don't know. And he said, okay, um, that's that's the incredible person that he is. We love you, Neil. Yes, it's so special, so special. Everyone needs a Neil in their life. Oh, my goodness, don't they? Don't they? Very, very calm, beautiful, harmonious soul that he is. Um, yeah, so if anyone is curious about this training, um, yeah, follow your heart. Yeah. It will meet you where you are and allow allow your process to be what it needs to be for you. If this training calls you, um, you can run away from that, but you'll only be running back to it at some point I promise that I promise it'll grab you by the ribcage and (laughs) reel you in (laughs) absolutely yeah oh the best best gift I've ever given myself was to do this training Mm. Mm. Rev Deb it has been such a joy sitting around the altar with you I wanted to close if you would pick a page at random from this precious book thank you again so much okay so from the Little Book of Dow, by me, Rev Deb. Let's see what joy of one-liner that comes to us. This feels like this is speaking to anyone considering this one spirit training. This is what the Little Book of Dow has to say. Re-enter your life through the open doorway that is harmony with nature. Re-enter your life through the open doorway that is harmony with nature. And I love the perfect imperfection of me stuttering over my own words. <laughs> Re-enter your life through the open doorway that is harmony with nature. And I know our listeners cannot see, but I'm holding the book at arm's length because I haven't got my reading glasses on. <laughs>
You are such a gift. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Bring It to the Altar. Stay tuned for episode three, where you'll meet the fabulous Jackie Holder. Ordained with One Spirit in 2002, Jackie is a published author, executive and leadership coach, an intuitive facilitator, coach supervisor, and overall creative wonder woman. This episode is filled with a lot of heart, humor, and aha moments. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Bring It to the Altar, and for more information, visit interfaithfoundation.org.